Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. Hold that place in hand and also Genesis chapter 6. We're going to continue praying for those who are absent this morning, those who could not make it because of mud. We pray that the Lord would watch them and bless them. We are in good company, though, this morning. We're two more than it was in the days of Noah when there were only eight. Yet uh, God is still gracious, and kind, and good, and we wish to praise him for that this morning. O oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. How true that is. Matthew chapter 24, <clears throat> in verse 36. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But, though that be true, as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Genesis chapter 6, in verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. Mm, let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do beseech thee this morning now that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that you'd encourage your children. Lord, I pray that we'd look to the days of Noah and that, Lord, you teach us something, Lord God, that was in Noah that enabled him to be faithful and persevere as he built the ark and preached the coming judgment of God upon a wicked and vile world. Lord, I pray that we this morning as well would find grace in the eyes of the Lord. And I pray that, Father, that would inspire your children and encourage us in these perilous times. And I pray that there be some here this morning that know not Christ, that, Lord, they'd understand the great privilege they have of sitting under the preaching of the Word of God. And Lord, I pray they despise not the goodness of the Lord and His long-suffering, but, Lord, that you too would show them the grace of God in Christ Jesus. We pray that you'd be honored and glorified in all that we say and do this morning. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> but as the days of Noah were, so also shall be the coming of the Son of Man. It's quite amazing that it's to the days of Noah that Christ would have us look if we are to understand also the coming of the Son of Man. We know not the hour, he said, neither do the angels, but only the Father. But he gives us a little insight into the coming of the Son of God. He said, if you want to understand the coming of the Son of God, look to the days of Noah so that you might comprehend at least a little bit, a little forewarning of the coming of the Son of Man. That these two monumental and great events would have so much in common is of no coincidence, but rather determined and ordained by the sovereign and eternal counsel and decree of God that one earth-shattering event thousands of years before the latter should providentially be ordered to bear witness to the latter proves just how unsearchable 
the judgments of God are and his ways past finding out. In other words, as it was in the days of Noah, God in his infinite wisdom would thousands of years later through his son compare those days with the coming of his son. There's a lesson to be learned here. There's a warning to be heeded. And there's encouragement for God's people. Isn't it amazing that these two events separated by thousands of years could be providentially decreed by God to bear witness to one another. So let us then again this morning look to the days of Noah that we might not be like those who knew not when the flood came and took them all away, but let us watch and be ready as Christ warns in Matthew 24, for we too know not what hour our Lord doth come. They knew not until the flood came. We know not the hour, yet the Lord says to watch and be ready. So God give us grace to look to the days of Noah that we might learn a valuable lesson. Again, look at Genesis chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on earth, on the earth. And it grieved him at his heart. I want to just mention a short, important lesson in this verse, first of all. The repentance of which the Bible speaks in this verse is not that God repented in a way like we do of sins. God doesn't repent of anything he does. But God is trying to explain to us how much it grieved him that man was so wicked in the world, not knowing that he did not know that, but he's explaining to us and describing unto us how God was greatly grieved by the sinfulness and wickedness of man. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be the coming of the Son of Man. But Noah, in the midst of all that, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now this is an amazing passage of Scripture. That while God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that even the every, and even that every imagination of the thoughts, you see how deep Scripture goes into the thoughts and the minds and the heart of sinful man, that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart, God sees into the deepest part of your heart. Everything about you and I is open and exposed before God. He knows our deepest, darkest secrets. Even though we can hide it from other men and women and our family and loved ones, God knows the very intents of our heart down to the deepest, darkest part of our thoughts. And God said it was only evil continually, always, nonstop, daily, always, constantly evil. And yet in the midst of that, with all that said in Scripture, verse 8 says, Yet Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He saw the wickedness. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. What a vast difference there is between the wickedness of men and God's chosen people. That which made separate or made Noah separate or apart from the world of wicked men was God's grace. That's the only thing that separated him or set him apart from the world of wicked men was God's grace. But Noah found grace in the eyes, in the eyes of the Lord. Again, 
The Scriptures teach of God seeing things. And when He looked at wicked men, He saw nothing but great wickedness and evilness. But when He looks at Noah, it says He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This grace, Scripture says, was found not merited or earned, but found. And you know where it was found? Not in Noah. Listen to Scripture. But in the eyes of the Lord. God chose to bestow grace on Noah. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It doesn't say He found grace in Noah. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Beloved, this is the first mention of grace in Scripture. The very first mention of it. And it's in the midst of a perverted and wicked world, so wicked, so vile, that God says, I'm just going to annihilate everybody. I'm going to destroy all flesh. In the midst, in the midst of that, God shows grace. There's no better picture of salvation than that. You see, dearly beloved, those who know not Christ, it's in the midst of your wickedness that you've got to find God's grace. It's in the midst of your wickedness. Nothing you can do, nothing you can say. It's in the midst of your wickedness that God bestows grace. And this first mention of grace in Scripture defines its true essence better than any other reference as far as I'm concerned. God describes the sinfulness of man, but in the midst of all that, at the end of all that, it says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Oh, there should be a multitude of hymns written according to this passage of Scripture. It's in the eyes of the Lord that grace is found. No other reason. Nothing in man himself to draw the grace or favor of God upon himself. It is a sovereign, listen to me, it is a sovereign and merciful choosing of God himself. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Nothing in this verse pertains to merit or earning it. In the midst of this wicked and vile world in which Noah lived, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That's your only hope of salvation. It's a sovereign and merciful choice. Of God. In Exodus 33, our Lord told Moses, God told Moses, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. I know sinful man hates that, but it's biblically true. No man, woman, or child shall ever make it into the presence of God by anything of his own doing. It'll be by grace. And it'll be because God chose to bestow or favor you according to his own sovereign grace and mercy. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You listen to me for just a moment. I want to explain something that I hope you comprehend and listen closely. One might ask, Preacher, if that's true, and divine election is a biblical truth, that salvation is of the Lord, how can I be so sure that God's grace is even offered to me? Oh, that's dumbfounded a lot of people. That troubled me for a long time. How can I be sure that God's grace is even offered to me? How can I be sure that it's God who is calling me unto Himself? If it's the sovereign work of God's mercy and grace, how can I be assured that God is showing me or offering me His grace? Well, first of all, God will perform that which He began in any work. But how can I be sure? Let me give you a few things to seriously consider before we move on in our text, because this is vitally important. One, let me ask you this question. How many people, and let's bring it down to our present situation, how many people alone in Coleman this morning are privileged to hear the preaching of the gospel? 
Now, Coleman professed a long time ago to have 22 churches. I don't think there's that many churches here. But I guarantee you, there's not that many people in the city of Coleman this moment listening to the preaching of the gospel. They might be sitting in some church, but my question is, are they listening to the preaching? Is the preaching of the gospel being preached? How many people are attending church at this very moment alone in the city of Coleman? Probably not very many. How many of those so-called churches are preaching the true gospel? Again, I'm not being judgmental. I want you to consider these questions when you ask yourself, how can I know that God's grace is being offered to me? I want you to listen and consider these questions. Seriously, how many of those churches are preaching the true gospel? We're kind of winding this down. We're kind of... How many shall hear this message this morning? Well, that's evident. There's only 11 of us here. I dare say there are less than 500 people, and there's probably not, not that many, in the city of Coleman. And the city of Coleman has approximately 6,000 in Coleman County. But I dare say less than 500 of those 6,000, listen to me, less than 500 out of those 6,000 people in Coleman who are even attending any church. And then you take the number of how many churches are preaching a true gospel. It narrows that number even farther. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying you're in the minority this morning. You know the privilege that you have listening to the gospel this morning? You know the privilege? You could be one of those thousands of people sitting right now at their home waiting for the football game this afternoon and not even, discern, not even concerned about their soul. You could be one of those who are still lying in bed sleeping off last night's drunken stupor who doesn't care about church or God or anything else. You could be one of those who, like in Noah's days, was marrying and mar giving in marriage and eating and drinking until the flood came. You could be like one of those, but you're not. You're sitting amongst God's people. You're hearing the word of God preached. You are privileged this morning. You are blessed this morning. You need to comprehend that. You need to consider that. That's how you can know. Are you listening? Are you watching? Like the Lord said in Matthew 24, do you realize the tremendous mercy of God which is presented to you this morning? That's what you should be concerning yourself with this morning. Not if, not if, how can I be sure? Let me tell you something. You're in a minority this morning. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but I'm telling you there's, getting, there's fewer and fewer churches in America today who preach the gospel. Fewer and fewer churches. Fewer and fewer preachers who stand up and preach the gospel. You are privileged this morning by God's grace to be able to sit here this morning and hear the gospel preached. And that should make you seriously consider the grace of God in Christ Jesus. With that said, let's move on to our text this morning. In Genesis chapter 6, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be. Chapter 6 and verse 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now watch this. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. I went to a few moments this morning. I want to encourage God's people. In the most wicked of times, I want us to see how God's grace not only saves, but preserves and sustains and keeps. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now watch this. These are the generations. Noah was just man, perfect in his generation. Noah walked with God. Three characteristics of Noah, which in that wicked, vile world in which he lived in, was very difficult. In fact, impossible without grace. Noah's an encouragement to all of God's people in the most wickedest of times. Now, stay with me this morning. I want to kind of slowly go through this text because I want you to see how the Holy Spirit of God uses the Word of God and builds this up. The placing of these words 
are of the utmost significance and therefore demands our greatest attention. Before God would even reveal unto Noah the coming of his divine judgment upon the whole world, he does that in verse 13. Look at verse 13. And God said unto Noah, here's the first time Noah hears about God's coming judgment. God speaks of it in the first seven verses, but he doesn't reveal it to Noah until after verses 8 and 9. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me. The earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Before God even <laughs> reveals unto Noah the coming judgment of God, and before he would assign him the great task of building the ark to the saving of his family, verse 18, but with thee will I establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons, and thy wife, and thy sons' wives with thee. Before God even does that, explain to them the building of the ark, the Holy Spirit of God would have us to understand, first and foremost, the character and person of Noah, and how it was God's grace that preserved and favored him, first and foremost. Why is that important? You'll see that as we go along our passage. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. That comes first before God reveals to him the coming judgment, before God reveals to him how we should build the ark. It's Noah's character and person to whom the Holy Spirit would lead our hearts and our minds. Why? Let me tell you. I don't care what you profess to know about prophecy. I don't care what you profess to know about building anything about God's church or anything. If you have not found grace in the eyes of the Lord, if you are not just and perfect in your generation, if you're not walking with God, everything else is senseless. Now surely, and listen to me, now, surely all saints of God before Noah, in chapter 5 we read of them, a whole list of them, surely all saints of God before Noah knew this same saving grace. Surely they did. It's all by grace. Yet here in our text, the Holy Spirit would have us to understand that this same grace, listen to me, this same grace that saves, and we need to grasp this as God's people in this in these perilous times, this same saving grace preserves God's elect with a special love and favor, especially, listen to me, especially in the midst of the most wicked and evil of times. I'm telling you, here's the answer for all the confusion many Christians have had concerning those who are truly born again. Everybody professes to be saved. Everybody professes to know the grace of God. My question is, listen to Scripture. My question is, does that same grace you profess that saved you, does it preserve you and keep you? That's the big difference. We throw grace around today like it was nothing. Here is the effectual working of God's grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was just man and perfect in his generation. And Noah walked with God. Say not that you know something of the grace of God and yet you are not a just man, a perfect or perfect or upright in your generation, and that you walk with God. Nothing else can enable the true believer to persevere in spite of such evilness around us than the grace of God. Grace not only saves, but grace preserves, grace keeps, grace sustains, grace inspires by the grace of God. Why do you think the Holy Spirit put both of these verses together? First, he found grace. It's a sovereign work of God. But that grace was effectual. That grace did something in the heart and life of Noah. It made him a just man, perfect in his generation, and enabled him to walk with God. That's why I said before, dearly beloved, say not you know something about the grace of God, but you know nothing about living a holy and righteous life. Or walking with God. If you've been saved for any amount of time, and I'm telling you from my own personal experience, 
over 35 years, I'm telling you, look back over your life and you can see the only reason, the only reason if you're still walking with God has nothing to do with your perseverance, nothing to do with your obedience, nothing to do with your abilities, but it has all to do with God's grace. That's the only reason you're still here. It's the only reason you're still living for Christ is because of the grace of God. That's the only reason. It sustains and preserves, it keeps, it enables us to walk with God. <coughs> the psalmist in Psalm 145 said it best, the Lord preserves all those that love him. The Lord preserves all those that love him. And of course, we know the Bible says we love him because he first loved us. But the psalmist said the Lord preserves, preserves, he keeps the Lord. Jehovah preserves, keeps all those that love. It's him that keeps us. What enabled Noah to preach for 120 years and then end up getting on that, on that ark not having one conversion except his own family? What enabled him to keep preaching? I can't imagine what Noah went through trying to preach and build the ark at the same time. I can't imagine the task that God assigned him. It was very difficult. This is a world that was so vile and wicked, and I'm getting to that in a few minutes, that even God said, I repented. I even make them, I'm going to destroy all the flesh. They're wicked and evil. And then God says, now you know, go out and preach to that same wicked, vile people. How could Noah do that? There are so many things that can discourage a preacher. I'm telling you, you have no idea what Satan uses to discourage a preacher. You have no idea the battles that he, that he faces all the way up to the very moment when he stands in the pulpit, how Satan will try anything and everything to get him off his heart, get him off his subject, to get his heart off the subject, get his mind on other things. You don't know the difficulties that are that arises against the preacher when he's trying to prepare his sermons. There's a battle that takes place that only other preachers know or understand. I'm telling you, there's a lot of temptation. Can you imagine the ones Noah had? I dare say that many modern preachers today, after just a few years of preaching with no converts, would have given up. Well, I guess the Lord's not in this. I'm going to move on to the other side of the world. No, God said, here's the ark. Believe that. He had, to, he had to build the ark. He couldn't move the ark to go someplace else. Preachers go, well, I guess God's not in this. I'm going to move to another vineyard. Noah didn't have that liberty. He started building the ark right there. He couldn't move the ark. He had to preach right there. Can you imagine the temptations Noah went through? The discouragements he must have faced. And then trying to build the ark, oversee that. Watch over his own family. How could Noah do that? Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You know how we persevere through all of this? We rest in the grace of God. <coughs> the Lord preserves all those that love him. <coughs> Excuse me, but all the wicked will he destroy you know, it keeps us going in spite of all the wickedness that's going on in the world. <coughs> the grace of God. Don't ever lose sight of that. It's important that you and I understand that. Don't ever lose sight of that. I'm telling you, don't ever lose sight of that. Churches nowadays are so dis discouraged and disappointed because they see so little effects, so little fruits, and they're doing everything they can to try to produce something. Well, what we need to do is we just need to be more busy. We need to get out there and get more outreach going. We need to do more for this. We need to do more for that. They're so discouraged trying to produce something on their own. And I'm not saying those things are not of themselves worthy. But don't get so frustrated in the grace of God that you feel you need to take control and start doing something. Be faithful to the preaching of the gospel. Go through the doors that God effectually opens. Trust in God. Like Lloyd-Jones one time spoke of a man, he considered evangelism. He said, it's like a man whose house is on fire. A lot of churches, he said, whose house is on fire, and he's so frustrated, and he's so discouraged, he doesn't, he's so confused, he doesn't know what to do, so he grabs an axe and goes into his house and starts chopping at the, at the main support beam in the house, which had caused the whole house to fall in, and he didn't know what he was doing, he just knew he had to do something, so he went and did something. That's like a lot of churches today, they're just, we kind of do something, they're just frantic.
What kept Manoah going from being discouraged? Grace of God. You know, many place great significance upon the ark and how it was only in the ark that one could be saved from the raging waves and tormenting seas of God's judgment, which is of itself true, but many place great significance upon the ark. Yet listen to me. No one could enter into the ark yet polluted by their sins. Come into the ark. You're going to get saved. Come to Jesus. He'll take care of all your problems. No. No one could enter into that ark who were yet polluted by their sins. Noah found grace. He was an upright man. He was, he was upright. He was just and perfect and walked with God. No one could enter into that ark who was yet polluted by their sins. They must first find grace and the evidence or fruits of such grace found. That's why these verses are important where they are. Before God even tells Noah how to begin building the ark, the ark's not going to do you any good if you walk into it polluted. No, no. Does you no good. Look in verse Corinthians chapter 6. Let me show you a few verses of Scripture. First Corinthians chapter 6. Yes, the ark was the only way to be delivered, but you would not, could not walk into that ark yet polluted with your sins. Noah found grace. First Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, uh, covetous, nor drunkards, nor rivalers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. None of these people. Lord kindly defines it. You, you can't enter into the ark polluted by your sins. Look, we're in Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. Verse 25. Well, verse 24, we'll start there. <clears throat> Strive to enter in the straight gate, for many, I say unto you, shall will seek to enter in and shall not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and is shut to the door, and you begin to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open unto us, and he shall answer unto you, I know not, I know you not whence you are. Then shall you begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence you are. Depart from me, all ye workers." of iniquity. The ark could do them no good if they were still yet polluted in their sins. One more verse. Look in Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21 in verse 27. Talking about the heavy, heavenly Jerusalem. Revelation 21 verse 27. And there shall in no wise enter into it, could also be a reference to the ark, and there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. You see, the ark would do them no good if they were yet polluted in their sins. Noah found grace. And he was a just man and upright in his generations, and he walked with God. Then God says, here's the instructions on the ark. Here's the, the judgment of God coming. Here's the message you preach. But it all started with Noah finding grace and walking with God. Surely many of those who, uh, same wicked men in Noah's days, assisted Noah in the building of the ark. Can you imagine the, the great task it was to build that ark? Noah could not have done that by himself. Even with his sons. Could not have done that by himself. So I'm sure that many of those same wicked men assisted Noah in building the ark. Surely they labored many hours, many days, in building the ark precisely the way God instructed Noah. 
I'm sure no one instructed them, overseen them, and said, you need to put this there, you need to put that pitch there, you need to put that board here, here's how you need to do it. And I'm sure there was many wicked men who helped Noah build that ark. Isn't it amazing that none of those wicked men ever entered into it? They put so much work and labor into it, and yet they never entered into the ark. So many people come to church Sunday after Sunday, week after week, month after month, year after year, and they never enter the ark. Even though they labored on the only thing that could save them from certain destruction, none of them were granted entrance. Have we not done many works and miracles in your name? They said to the Lord, have we not done all these things? The Lord says, I know not who you are, you workers of iniquity. I know not who you are. How could Noah persevere in such an age as that? How could Noah continue to preach faithfully the gospel of Jesus Christ with all that surrounding him? He had labors every day. I'm sure he was witnessing to them every day about the coming judgment of God and that the ark they're building was their only way of escape from God from certain judgment, and yet they still, when the time came, still didn't enter into the ark. We get frustrated when we don't see the effects of the preaching of the gospel upon sinners. Churches and preachers begin to grow despaired and discouraged. (laughs) As it was in the days of Noah. How did Noah keep going? How did Noah persevere under such great obstacles and hindrances and discouragements? Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But Noah also found grace in the eyes of the Lord because the great task assigned to him by God would be impossible without God's preserving and dwelling grace. Look over back over in Genesis chapter 6, verse 13. Genesis chapter 6, verse 13. Now listen to this. this, this, this. Listen to these words. And God said unto Noah, this first time God reveals what he was thinking the first few verses in chapter 6. Now he reveals it to Noah. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make of it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, and the height of it 30 cubits. A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in the cubits shalt thou finish it above, and the door of the ark thou shalt set in the side thereof. With lower, second, and third stories shalt thou make it. And behold, I, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. But with thee will I establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. You notice he doesn't say that the whole world would be saved. I'm getting ahead of myself, but you know what? Even the even the measurements of the ark proved that God did never intend to save the whole world. The whole world wouldn't have fit in that ark. You ever consider that? God even tells Noah here, I'm going to bring you and your wives and your sons, your sons and your sons' wives in the ark. And yet he still tells Noah, I still want you to preach for 120 years. Second Peter chapter 3. It was Christ and Noah preaching to the disobedient who perished. The Bible says actually it was Christ through Noah preaching. You'd think that anybody would be successful in preaching, it'd be Christ. Then again, look at the life of Christ. When he suffered and died on Calvary, how many were with him? Not very many. According to human expectations, he was a failure. The disciples all forsook him. Don't be deceived. There was no great revival before Noah got in the ark. Uh, 
How often do we see it and read it in newspapers and everything else? Churches around the world going, we're having a great revival. They think somehow they can start a revival. They can produce a revival. We're going to have a revival. We're going to get the best preachers coming in, and we're going to preach for four days, and we're going to have a revival. We're going to pray for one, and God's going to hear our blessings and our wishes. There was no great revival before Noah got in the ark. No great conversion of wicked men turned before the days of the judgment. Nothing. Even before Noah even starts, God basically he tells him, you're going to do all this work and it's only going to be you and your sons and your sons' wives and your wives that's going to enter the ark. After 120. Of course, that's not the first time. You heard of the prophet Isaiah and Jeremiah and a few others where God says, okay, I'm going to send you out, but they're not going to listen to you. How'd you like to have a ministry that starts out with God saying you're going to be a failure? It's not going to work. divine task assigned unto Noah by God would be no easy task, and it would require much grace and perseverance. The divine judgment of God upon the whole world was revealed only to Noah. And he alone was to faithfully proclaim it to a world of unimaginable wickedness. God didn't tell the world this judgment was coming. He just revealed it to Noah. Here's what's coming. Go tell them. Doesn't that sound like the church? Christ comes to the church, and he says, here's the gospel. Here's what I want you to go out. I want you to go out and preach that to him. He doesn't really reveal it to the world. He tells it to his people. Now he says, now you go out and preach it. He was giving the task to build something that the world had never seen before. An ark. A vessel of salvation in a most unusual place, dry land. Far away from any water. And that was supposed to be a refuge against coming judgment of God that no man believed. What are you building a boat on dry land for? Well, because there's going to come rain from heaven. Water's going to fall from heaven. Again, like we said last week, if you read the Bible, you'll find out there was no rain in those days. God caused a mist to come up and it watered the ground. There was no such thing as rain from heaven. So Noah's declaring, I have an ark here on dry land. It's the only way of salvation from a coming judgment of water falling from the sky. And people kind of looked at Noah's and said, boy, what have you been smoking? You must be one crazy guy. Not to mention, listen to me, not to mention... If the wickedness of man had reached such a height that God himself would repent that he ever created mankind, and God himself was determined to destroy all flesh upon the face of the earth, yet to assign Noah to preach to them for 120 years, how great and seemingly impossible was it for Noah? That was Noah's assignment. That was his task. How would you like to start a ministry like that? You're going to build an ark that nobody's going to get into it except your family. You're going to pronounce a judgment nobody believes in. And you're going to preach that for 120 years. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Why am I saying all this? I'm saying this because... I believe that we can be greatly encouraged by Noah because in the end, it's not about, listen to me and don't misunderstand this, in the end, it's not about the salvation of men, though that's why we preach. It's not about any comfort of our own. In the end, it's all about God doing and fulfilling God's perfect will, looking to the glory and honor of God above all things. I mentioned that somewhat last week. One of our problems in our Christian life is when we fall into troubles and times of trouble and anguish and affliction and tribulation and troubles, we get so wrapped up on ourselves and our pity parties that we forget that everything that we do, all that we do, should be to the glory of God. If we set God's glory first and foremost in all of our lives, nothing shall turn us. Nothing shall persuade us to do anything else except follow God. You say, preacher, that's awful hard way to go. It wasn't easy for Noah. That's why he needed grace. I'm telling you that we are, 
we are in every generation said it, but we are very close to the coming of the Son of Man. Matthew 24, most of those things have been fulfilled, and most and the other ones that are not are presently being fulfilled. I'm telling you, it's happening. And another thing, which I didn't get into this morning, but just mentioned real quickly, another thing that was greatly discouraging to note is that the righteous were quickly decreasing amongst the men on earth. To where, it, when it came down to the final day of Noah getting on the ark, Noah was the only man left. All the righteous people, all God's people were taken away. Noah was alone. And yet Noah got on the ark. We mumble and complain and murmur about the most insignificant problems in our lives. How do you like to live in the days of Noah? And yet Noah found grace, and that grace enabled him to be a just man, perfect in his generation, and most important, it enabled him to walk with God in a world that was so unimaginably wicked. He could walk with God. We wind this down. Our Lord himself said in Mark, behold, in other verses, he said, behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. I'm not sending you out in a kindergarten. I'm not sending you out to play with children. I'm sending you a sheep amidst wolves who eat sheep. He said, you shall be hated of all men for my namesake. That's a pretty bold statement. You're going to be hated of all men for my sake. And the world that you're in... <laughs> That world lieth in wickedness. Yet what is his command? <laughs> Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Sounds like Noah's day, doesn't it? Go preach to him anyway. But Lord, they're wolves. Go preach to them anyway. They're going to hate me for your namesake. Doesn't matter. Go preach anyway. We're going to have tribulation and affliction. Go preach to him anyway. How can we do that, preacher? Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He was a just man and perfect in his generation, and he walked with God. That's how we can do it. That's the only way we can do it. Like I said, the God-given designs of the ark given unto Noah were never intended nor contained the whole world. Never never intended for the whole world. Somebody was trying to tell, say something the other day or wrote about it. Said they, all the math, they figured that the ark could hold 70,000 animals. I don't know if it could hold that many. But there's no way that ark could have held the whole world. God gave him specific instructions. It's going to be this long, this wide, this high. Perfect. Perfect instructions. It was never intended to save the whole world. So what's the message then of that, preacher, if it wasn't intended? Well, it's simple. I believe if we look to the days of Noah in preparation for the coming of the Son of Man, I believe what you should learn from the days of Noah is this, if you're yet without Christ. Listen to me. Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. So you see, though the Noah, uh, the ark was never intended to save the whole world, it was intended to save the few. It fulfilled its purpose. It saved those to whom God showed grace. What are you saying? You want to stay on the Broadway with the rest of the world? Or do you want to come with the few? How do I know that I would even be chosen as the few? Again, I ask you to consider those questions I asked in the beginning of the message. 
consider the privilege you have this morning of sitting amongst God's people and hearing the word of God preached in comparison to thousands of people sitting at home and not caring at all. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, God has given you, God has given you so much grace. And you that have been sitting in families, in homes where your mothers and fathers are Christians and they've been preaching to you and praying for you, I'm telling you, you have been given the greatest blessing that mankind could ever have. And if you despise that, it will bring the greatest of torment. That's why Peter said it were better that you were never born than that you heard the word of life and you turned away from it. You have a great privilege this morning. You are of the minority this morning. May God show you grace. He suddenly brought you here. No, I chose to come. No. He suddenly led you to this message if it's on the internet. No, I chose to know. There's no coincidences. God sovereignly, providentially did that. You know why? Because he's the God of grace and mercy. Let me tell you, the spiritual arc is fixing to close. God's going to close the door. You watch. If the Lord delays his coming over the next few years, how fewer churches there's going to be that preach the truth. Churches will be everywhere all the time. They've always been there. But what are they preaching? Fewer preachers, fewer churches. When you see that coming, I pray that you take heed because it's happening. The coming of the Son of Man is near. Look unto the days of Noah that you might not be caught unaware Amen. Child of God, take courage. Learn from Noah. Uh, I'm telling you, we need the God's we need God's grace to be able to walk with Him in such troubling times. And if we do, we too, like Noah, after 120 years, and I'm I'm still amazed with that. And I promise I'll close with this. I'm amazed with that that Noah and his family. I mean, that's to me that's even an, an amazing thing. His own children. I mean, we know how children are nowadays. His own children after 120 years. In a world that lies in wickedness, his own children still got on the ark with him. That was, that's impressive. After 120 years, he got on the ark. And you know what the Lord said? He said, Noah, get into the ark. The very next words was, and the Lord closed the door. The Lord closed the door. May God not close the door on you. I pray that you would listen. Child of God, be encouraged, strengthened. Let us find grace in the eyes of the Lord. Our Father, we ask now, Lord, that you would bless now thy word to our hearts. I pray that we could learn from the days of Noah as you instructed us. Help us, Lord, to take courage, encouragement and strength and comfort, Lord, in the character and person of Noah. We thank you, Lord, for the grace of God which sustained and preserved him. We pray, Father, Lord, that you'd help us in these latter days to learn from Noah. Lord, help us, Lord, to be faithful to thee. Help us to ever look to thee. Help us to keep building that spiritual ark. Help us to keep preaching the word of God in spite of all oppositions, in spite of all afflictions, men hating us and despising us and rejecting us. Help us to remain faithful and true to you. Help us to ever look to you because, Lord, when we take our eyes off thee, Lord God, we'll fail. Help us to ever look to thee. I pray for those, Lord God, who sat under these messages the last few weeks. I pray that, Lord, they'd heed the warning of the coming judgment of God. And, Lord, I pray that, Father, they'd turn now while they have the time. I pray that, Lord, they'd heed your warning. I pray that, Lord, you'd call them. I pray that, Lord, you'd open their hearts up. And, Lord, that they'd receive you. And, Lord, you'd grant them, Father, Lord, the grace and mercy which is in Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank you for all things and pray that you'd be honored and glorified in all things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.